Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you are. I'm sure it's something. I am Rod Kolick, your host, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. Uh, and with me all the way across the pond, soon to get our boiling hot weather, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parson. Good evening. I don't know about boiling hot weather, but we're having some good thunderstorms. Are you really? Yeah, cool. The, uh, you know, we, yeah, it's supposed to be 100 this weekend, so it's not going to be 100 if it reaches UK, right? Oh, no, it won't. We'll cool it down considerably. Yeah. But it's all set for the Queen's Jubilee. I know. She's over here. Uh, no, Charles is over here uh, doing uh, yeah, the Canadian my, tour. Yeah. He's in Canada at the moment where they're trying to make him apologize for something or other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I sent them an invitation to drop in, but I haven't heard back from him. <laughs> Never mind. Maybe next time. I know. It's kind of sad. I guess they sent me some other... Uh, Britainstead, uh, some uh, some little uh, round guy. Um, well, they sent him to you. I thought he was uh, going well, to they, they, they sent him to uh, America, so he's he's I here. I was going to say, uh, hasn't he gone to the dark side of the USS? I, I'm sure. I'm sure he has, which would be good. Anyway, so we do have a guest tonight, and uh, he is uh, Mr. Paul Gambino. I actually said his name right, which is amazing in itself. Paul, are you there? Maybe not. Yep, now I can hear you. Yes. You, yeah, no. Can you hear me? Yes, bye. Yep, I, uh, you dropped out for a second on my end. Yes, thank you. I assume I was introduced. Thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to, to be here. Okay. And, Paul, you have written uh, some intriguing books, uh, including Skulls. Uh, oh, God, why don't you give me the title so I don't screw them up? I know I will. Paul. Um, Ronald, I am losing you. Steve, can you hear me all right? Yes. Do you hear me? You're loud and clear to me, Rob. I think I think the problem might That's be so odd. Paul's connection. It's got to be on your end, Paul. Sorry hear, about that. Yeah. I hear Stephen well. I, for some reason, I don't hear you. Yeah. It's, it's mysterious. Problem. Okay. But I, it's Providence. <laughs> You're lucky. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway. Steve, you said killer collections. Is that right? Sure. Steve, Steve, you want to? Since he can't well, hear me, you want to lead this, please? Yeah, yeah. Paul, um, I presume you can hear me. Um, yes, I can hear you fine. Yep. Excellent. Ron was just asking to save him screwing it up. If you would um, give us the titles of your books. Okay. Roy, I think, he, Roy, I think we had a call back. Skulls. I think we're going to have to have Roy call it back. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Try and get a better connection. 
Great. Paul, can you hang up? You those, know please? Yeah, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move too. Maybe that'll help. OK. OK. And you want All right. All right. So that's an uh, auspicious start to the program. Uh, While our guest relocates to a different county, um, did you uh, did you enjoy the video I sent you today with the little baby dinosaurs? It wasn't dinosaurs. <laughs> backwards. My God, I didn't even didn't even think of them as dinosaurs. Oh come on, they were cute. I've adopted one. I don't doubt it. So are uh, you? Um, are you? I'm going... sending a, a note to Roy. That's... Okay. Are you? Are you going to the event uh, the weekend? Oh. Also, are you kidding me? Hundred degree weather inside a steel coffin? Hell no. Is this better? Oh, it's much better. Can you hear us? Right. Yeah, I can hear you fine. I'm very sorry about that. If you kill the video, it would be even better. Yeah, I'm going to do that right now, too. Okay, this is a real auspicious start to the program. Uh, Paul, where are you located in, anyways? I'm in New York. Oh, right you're on this? I mean, yeah. You're on my side of the country. I mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. wow. New York I never like... Yeah, yeah. The East Coast actually, um, so you're not Central Time? I, I thought you were, so you're on the East Coast. Oh, that's right. You're up in, in Massachusetts, correct? That's right. I'm on the yeah. New, Hampshire, New Hampshire border. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, we have it lucky, I guess, on this side in terms of, um, I only learned about this through uh, a lot of my collectors who were up here that I didn't realize that we have such a wealth of oddities and antiques over here on the Northeast, because when everybody came over, you know, they brought, they brought everything over. And as they moved further West, they started to drop things, you know, you couldn't take mm. everything. So, so much of the stuff was left here on, on the East coast, you know? So, we so have a, what, what type of things do you collect, uh, Paul? Um, yeah, I, I started, I started, you know, as a kid, I, I would collect all different things and, um, and then as I got older, I started to collect uh, stuff that was related to um, now under the, the umbrella of oddities. So it was uh, things like human remains in the sense of like, you know, human skulls, maybe bones, funeral uh, related items, especially religious items that kind of had a funeral uh, use and uh, postmortems. That really was my thing. Postmortems, specifically um, photography. And, uh, oh, wow, cool. Yeah, Victorian era. Um, so I had to scale it down and I kept scaling down, scaling down. So I concentrated mostly, and my collection primarily is um, Victorian post postmortems of children, um, you know, because death was so prominent, you know, disease, the average age in Victorian era was around 40. So, um, uh, there was so much disease and the, the people hit hardest were usually children. And um, the, lots of times there was no record of these children until they were photographed post, you know, after they were dead. So um, that became a whole art form of how to photograph uh, deceased children. Um, I'm so not you, big in, I'm sorry. Do you deal with uh, desks, uh, death masks at all? You know what? I have a few, but that's not really my thing because what I I, I like to see to me, the photo, the photography just opens up a whole world of you can kind of create what 
what their life possibly could have been. And it's kind of like, I, it's kind of odd. I, I find death mass somewhat disrespectful where I find <laughs> the photography as uh, the family is like a cherished moment that they get to keep this. And I kind of feel like it's our responsibility to, you know, to really preserve these photos and, and treat them with a lot of respect, especially since, um, their children. My wife got very angry when I had my, when we had our child that she, she kind of didn't, she, she just didn't like that fact that I collected the children thing, oh, you know? Right. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's my segue. So, uh, so Steve, I mean, Steve, you, that was popular on your side of the pond, right? Didn't it? I, yeah, I, absolutely. It was popular both sides of uh, the Atlantic. There mm. was, um, and it wasn't just children. Of course, the, mm -hmm. the Victorians posed, staged, and photographed uh, a lot of deceased people. They were very big on these memento mori. Um, they would weave locks of hair, and they would make jewellery. They would um, have engraved um, rings made, all manner of... Um, items which often included um, parts of the deceased most normally over here um, it would be the their hair woven into yeah. um hair reeds um and some very elaborate pictures uh, mm. were were also manufactured by using um you know weaves of hair was it wasn't the queen photographed uh, she's not dead yet She's not dead yet. No, the other queen. <laughs> oh, Victoria. Yes, Victorian time. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I've never seen a picture of her. Uh, I, I swear I have, but I, I, I really don't know. Paul, you don't know anything about that, do you? Well, I do know something interesting about Queen Victoria. And, and Queen Victoria's husband died when she was younger, right? And she went into mourning. And maybe Stephen can back me up on this if this is true. But I was told that she kind of cast a pall over over england and made it that it was very grim and she was constantly grieving and stuff like you know so um that kind of set the tone and it even came to here where this might show my ignorance on this but the odd fellows did, did the odd fellows start in england and came over here is that how that worked I the, believe the, that's I believe that's the case. Okay, so uh, one of the things with Odd Fellows was they all had each like little sect or each little group had a human skeleton, and uh, that's how we get a lot of skeletons here. They come out of old Odd Fellows, uh, you know, uh, clubhouses or whatever they were called. But interestingly enough, I was told that when the Queen died, they decided to make not use real human skeletons anymore as kind of like, and they would use the, they would create these paper mache ones that are actually even more sought after now than everything because they look incredibly accurate, but they're made out of paper mache and it was kind of to like break this um, morbid sense of what the queen had set up over the, you know, the years that she was there. So that's kind of an odd answer to your question, Ronald. I can't answer whether she was ever photographed dead, but she was very instrumental in the kind of, you know, morbid overtones and spending time in cemeteries and picnicking in cemeteries and stuff while she, while she was queen. Actually, uh, if I can jump in, um, the idea of the cemetery as a public space as opposed to um, a memorial place long predates victoria ah. uh, 
it was a very popular. In fact, um, the the cemetery was the centre of the village. Of not, I don't mean literally, but it was the mm. centre of village life. It would be the place where they would hold picnics, where they would hold celebrations, where they would hold uh, village gatherings. It was a community central uh, space that was used uh, for lots of commemorative and celebratory events. So the idea that um, Victoria, uh, I mean, she kept, comes to the throne right up the start of the Gothic revival, which, you know, just look at any of the Victorian properties um, on the American East Coast. Mm. Um, and you can see this Gothic revival movement. And it, whether it, because, you know, it was going before Albert's death, if you look at the, the okay. Gothic writers, whether the death of Albert ex exacerbates the situation, I think is probably more accurate. Right. And cer certainly as a nation, um, the English or the British became very irritated by Victoria because she'd withdrawn totally from, from her duties as queen. Uh, she she stayed at Balmoral or at um, Sandringham, and mm. she 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 wouldn't be queen. And people were saying, "Where is our queen? Where is our queen? Where has she gone?" You know, it, it caused quite a lot of upset in the uh. in, in Great Britain at the time that she had withdrawn. And I, I think one of the prime ministers um, eventually, almost at the point of a of a you know a, a sharp pointy stick. <laughs> started to uh, you know get her back out into the world again and say you know you are loved by your people you are their queen go off and be queen again of course oh, we, had, we we had our uh, uh cemeteries here in the, in the states too we have the garden Absolutely. cemeteries which were uh, the garden cemeteries were like the little cemetery for instance is uh you know that was a place for picnics that was for uh uh, showing off too, by the way, you, who had the, the nicest tombs and everything else. It was uh, quite the thing. So, uh, getting back to your your collection, Paul. So, you are predominantly uh, death photographs of uh, children in your collection now, or do you do you carry more of the peripheral as well? Yeah, you know, it becomes that I, I you come across pieces that you're like, oh, I I really like I would really like to have that. Now, usually religious or crime related. Um, mm. And uh, but I had to focus it. I had to, you know, I, I personally had to, you know, bring it closer and smaller because uh, I just didn't want to fill my house. Not because I didn't want to, <laughs> but because of I don't live alone and, and stuff. Right. So, you know, my wife and my children <laughs> and everything. So yeah. it, it was out of that need that I, I kind of focused it. Otherwise, I, I would really I would broaden my oddities collection further than photography but i needed to focus and photography is small and uh and and i just have a passion for i was i'm a photo editor so that helps and you know so, so yeah. I've, I've always i've always said many many times that you know having a family um is a, is it spoils the hobby of collecting crips your style mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah you know uh, absolutely. And, and I always think that uh, I, I do know one group. I don't know if you know Ryan Matthew Cohen and Rebecca. I mean, uh, Regina, they are they're very uh, uh, focused, uh, similarly focused on uh, collecting. And um, that's nice to have a, 
a, you know, a partner who's very much into it as much as you would. And that I can only imagine having a partner and I'm not taking anything away from my partner, but can you imagine having a partner where there's a very expensive piece and they're next to you and they're like, buy it, buy it. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that would be awesome instead of like, yeah. you really need another one, you know? So, and that's an interesting thing when I said that word, another one about a female and male collecting, um, like Evan, um, she's a female collector and Brandy's a female collector. And I asked them that question and, and they make a good point in us being three males maybe can relate somewhat. And, uh, I said, do you find any difference between male collect males who collect and females who collect? And she said, yeah, I think it's, you know, she's making a generalization, but I think some of it's true. And she said, you know, when we were younger, not sure how what it was in, in in England, but definitely in America, like we collected baseball cards and we needed to complete the set. You know, we always needed, okay, we needed all the guys on. Oh, our yes. Team, you know that. So it was a very much a thing about getting more and more and more to complete it. But she says we're female collectors and, and the ones I've come across, and there's a considerable amount of them, despite what people think it being a male dominated, it is male dominated, but it isn't exclusive, is that a female collectors seem to, wait and be much more patient and say, oh, this piece fits my collection better as opposed to it completes my collection. So it's a different approach. Um, it's a different approach to collecting it. It's just, um, you know, so yeah, you know, female male collecting is different and being the sole collector in a house also is, is, um, is <laughs> different. I know that you know? Steve knows yeah. that. I know that feeling well, but do you find that um, people, when they, you said before, it, it, it's always assumed that it's the male is the is the more likely collector, um, and that's certainly true in my experience. You know, I mean, well, don't, don't girl, uh, wait a minute, don't girls collect dolls and stuff to, uh, when they? Yeah, they but, but 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 I mean, Paul made a ver an excellent point before about okay. this will this will go well with my collection. Whereas I've got two boys and they collect Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, mm -hmm. and they are very focused on completing the set. They yeah, have right. to have the set. Um, so you know, I was, you know, there is a distinct difference, but predominantly um i mean when you were talking uh and researching for the books did you find that um male collectors are more prevalent than females or do both sexes collect equally just in different ways yeah definitely uh there seems to be more males um i i i had to seek out some of the females or um yeah, so it's definitely male. It's definitely male dominated, but I was surprised about how many females actually do collect both uh, both the general morbid curiosities, which is more broadly based, who ba who collect skulls primarily, and even the uh, crime, true crime. There was more than I expected, um, and what was what was really supply or surprising was not necessarily well was was that they did collect there was more than i thought but how serious they were i thought they might have been like the, the casual collector but the ones that 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 i came across that made their way in the book are can hold their own with any any male collector in terms of their background knowledge on on the pieces that they that they collect and 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 like evan evan tends to lean more and this might sound sexist but she tends to collect more fem feminine type thing, te feminine type 
uh, oddities. Like you mentioned, like she's almost somewhat an uncertified um, a specialist in morning hair and morning hair arrangements. And, mm -hmm. you know, so that that was if you look at a collection, it does have a, a, a feminine, slightly feminine touch. Miss Anjemi, who is a uh, uh, a uh, coroner's assistant, her her thing, um, her her items are very male and very intense. I'm, I'm not male, very intense, and you would think would be in a male collection, but are displayed in, in somewhat of a feminine way. So uh, there's no escaping. Once again, it could be it could be thought of as a sexist opinion, but it seems like there's there's just certain natural ways that a male will present his collection. Like, I can't tell you how many male collections I go into when there's a wall of skulls, you know what I mean? And it, <laughs> and it pushes you back and it's really intimidating. And I think it's set there to be intimidating and it's set there almost for the guy to cross his arms in front of him and say, you know, look how many I have, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so many women, it's just like, oh, let me bring you over to this corner and then let me bring you to this corner. And you know what I mean? And if, if when you first walk into their room, whether it be because that most of these people, their entire houses are decorated as such, you walk into a female's decorated, oddities decorated home, at first glance, you might not realize that you're in an oddities home. It's not till you start to look that you see it. Whereas many men, uh, you know, they want to make that impact as soon as you walk through the door. And I actually did have one, uh, Ed Pacola actually has the, the, uh, the quintessential, he has that fake wall, you know, where you push the bookcase and you go into this other room, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, oh that's cool. Yeah. And every guy, <laughs> you know, I don't know what the girls would say, but every guy's like, ah, oh, that's cool, man. Everybody wants that. You know, the only thing better would be that, that library where you just move the one book, you know, and then the door yeah. opens, you know? So yeah, this is definitely a difference in the collection. So, so, I mean, collecting, you mentioned baseball cards, which was a good point because, yes, we, we were collectors since we were kids. And, uh, uh, you know, there seems to be so many collectors now. I mean, in the paranormal field, you have the Ouija board collectors, and there, mm. there's tons of them out there. I mean, there are, you know, the, the creme la creme, the, you know, like yeah. Robert Murch and uh, right. Rubito, Kozik, and, doesn't yeah, Kozik? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's and then there's the haunted collectors that like uh Zappis and then now like uh Cody and uh, um oh I forget her Sat Saturi Saturi uh his Hawes. girlfriend yeah Hawes right uh they have their haunted collection and and then there's like Danny Radical he has a haunted collection and, and everybody seems uh yeah even up in your way um uh, Shaw has his collection as well, uh, Tim Shaw. And, right, sure. Yeah, so it, it, we we tend to gather things, and but do you think there's more? Why are we we heading from baseball cards to more morbid stuff, more strange stuff than than we did when we were younger? Yeah, I I, I always I have like kind of pat questions that. Um, I kind of ask all the, not kind of, but I do ask all the collectors and I always ask them what that epiphany was or what, what was the crossover time? And um, I think it's probably the individual because some guys continue to co collect, you know, even as they become adults, they stay in that 
uh, baseball card realm, oh, yeah. or they might go to sports memorabilia. So what launches them into the macabre or oddities or uh, more obscure is probably different for everyone. I was once inter interviewed by uh, National Geographic for Morbid Curiosities, and, and the interviewer asked me a great question that I didn't think of, and I wish I would have thought of before I had done the book. She said, you know, and I think this, uh, this answer might be one of the reasons why um, there is this crossover. And she said, do you, real, do you think or do you realize that it seems to be that most of the collections in Morbid Curiosities, if you looked at their display, it's almost a battle or it's a discussion between science and religion. And when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that really is true. It's like this, you know, this supernatural or this spiritual and then this science, you know, and, and so many of the collections have both of these in it, you know, and it's like this. And I think that might be a, uh, a fundamental reason why we kind of kind of reach over and we're like, well, there are certain things that aren't explained, you know what I mean? And we can't explain and we find odd and we find that, you know, we can't answer them. So do these pieces manifest themselves answers for us um, and we want to keep them close to us or, you know. So I, I think that might be one of the reasons why it's, it, it's somewhat of a, I hate to use the word a maturity, but, you know, as, as we get older, we start to question more things or we question more concepts and some of it sometimes it leads to not the most pleasant of aspects of the world or it, not you know paul but are you really embracing death by doing morbid collections well i know why i do it if that's what you're asking me. you're asking me. yeah i it, i'm just throwing it out there <laughs> yeah well i i, I do it because of my fear of it and, it, and I'm sure it's because of my fear of death. I feel if I can collect, if I can, this is some sense of control for me. I'm sure uh, this Dor is it. Dorian Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. This is definitely a, a therapist, you know, kind of deal where, yeah, uh, you know, my fear of it, if I can surround myself with it, I feel like I have some slight control over it. I also grew up with my grandparents and there was always the threat of them dying when I was younger. You know, my mm -hmm. family was like, oh, they're gonna die, they're gonna die. So I think that always, that, that, that was always hanging around. And I find that also happens with people who collect true crime. You know, one of the reasons they, they do it is because they fear it so that um, they feel they're gonna get some inner knowledge or they're gonna get some kind of, I don't mean supernatural protection, but keep your enemies closer. And obviously they don't want to room with, you know, with these people, but if they have some of the, some of it close to them, they have a control over, you know, not being you, killed by a serial. Paul, do mm -hmm. you not think that with, a, with some of the modern collectors um, of oddities, particularly relating to paranormal, supernatural, so witchcraft collectors, Ouija board collectors, uh, haunted object collectors, especially, um, that there is also an element uh, of ego. Uh, you know, hey, look at me. I've got the world's most haunted doll. I've got <laughs> the oldest Ouija board. Because there the well, does seem to be go. this. 
We have to take a break right now. Sorry about that. Hold on to that question. Welcome to Pokenet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parax family. Welcome back to the second half of the first half of the two-hour Ghost Chronicles if you double so. bill. Double bill. So, welcome back to the second quarter. Uh, and our guest tonight is Paul Gambino, a collector of oddities and an author on books about collections of oddities. And I'm going to bounce straight back to the question I asked, uh, was asking before we came to the break, which was um, regarding reasons for collecting. I think um this might one of the things that you haven't mentioned yet but you may have noticed because i have is that there is an ego involved in some of these modern collectors of oddities well particularly over here um you know i have the largest haunted museum i have the oldest or the, the scariest doll i have do you find that amongst collectors yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did a, I did a, an interview with three different collectors, and um, it was funny because one of them was very. Um, he just wanted to spread the knowledge of of, mm-hmm. of these pieces, and uh, the middle guy was, oh, I just enjoy it. And uh, the third guy, who was Adam Bashian, who was a great collector, said, I just want to have the best collection out of everyone. You know what I mean? So it's really a personality thing. And um, yeah, I I do find that. And I also do find that I'm sure you you find it, too. um, There's definitely, uh, especially with the auctions, you know, people keeping specific auction sites very private and, you know, uh, you know, sources are everything. And uh, there's, you know, on the message boards or on Instagram and everything. You'll see people saying, oh, that's a great find. Oh, you did great on that. What a great find. But you know they're like, oh, damn, I wish I would have got that. Or, <laughs> you know, or you, you know who you're bidding against lots of times on, uh, on, on the auctions. So, yeah, the, it, it has become somewhat cutthroat, especially now that, you know, uh, there's so many more people into uh, the collecting. Uh, the, the kind of equalizer somewhat is that there's a lot more places to find the stuff. 
because of online. I mean, obviously eBay, you can't get anything on eBay anymore, real significance, but there are other sources out there to, to find stuff. But it seems like the real scores really do come from, you know, old, just pounding the pavement and finding, you know, you know, the funeral home that's closing or the guy, the doctor's wife who doesn't want to have any, you know, any more skulls or full skeletons or wet specimens in his house anymore. That's where the big finds come from. So uh, I can definitely relate to that because as um, back in the uh, late 19th century um, and uh, part of my family was in the funeral Oh. Uh, funeral ornament business they were manufacturers of coffin ornaments wow um and i'd only read about you know I, I i'd seen a note that said that they had this company that made coffin ornaments i'd never ever encountered one and i i'd looked occasionally but we were at um a flea market three weeks ago and there was um, a cast iron coffin handle and i turned it over and on the back of it imprinted was um the family name cool so, name. that's great i'll, I'll look out for uh, that what, what is it, the family name ingall and parsons ingall and parsons okay is, is the company right. and um it cost me the princely sum of one pound oh, oh nice see that's yeah i mean there you go nice. that's that's that, that's fun i i actually uh, you know I stumbled upon something. Uh, I'll be quick. It's a, it's a relatively long story, but I'll be no, quick. No, that's okay. No, you don't have to okay. talk. We're here. We're not okay. going anywhere. <laughs> I uh, okay. I, I was at a I was at a, 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 a not an estate sale, even small, like a a small house sale. And I looked at when I first walked in, I looked under the table, the coffee table, and there was an oversized photo taken probably in the 1930s of like all these policemen, you know, like those warped, a uh, wide banquet shots, you know, where they're like oh, yeah, yeah, very yeah. horizontal. So I thought, oh, this is nice. So I, I took it. So I go down in the basement, I go into the basement. The basement is a complete mess, but there's all this photography equipment there, old photography equipment, printer, you know, those old kind of like printers to where they look, you know, with that big head on the top and they would broad, you know, print it down, you know, all this photography equipment. And there was all these discs on the floor that had z small discs, maybe only about four inches in, in diameter, circumference, diameter, and they have, were zero to nine. And they were like porcelain almost, like porcelain on metal. They're all over the floor. You can't walk. And you know when you've, we all know we've walked into certain places and we're like, I know there's something here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You don't know, but you know there's something here. So I'm looking around, I'm looking around. And then I went by the, the tool desk. And that's where, you know, you find stuff because that's where people like hide stuff, you know, like the guy that just has tools, but he has like, you know, nudie pictures or something like that. That's where he <laughs> like, that's where he hides himself. So I open up one of the drawers and there's a, a photograph of a, a guy on the, on a morgue table. And I could tell it's on a morgue table because he has that little triangle behind his neck, you know, that little, that little piece that holds the head. Right. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then I find an eight by 10 morgue photo and i've never seen that you never really see eight by tens they're usually much smaller so i take the two of them and i can't find anything else but i'm sure there is i can't find anything else so i take these two and i go back upstairs and i ask the woman 
and I say, I would like, you know, I can, I can, I would like to buy these. She goes, Oh, you want these? I said, yeah. She goes, I have five boxes of these at home. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh my God. So I did that. This was like my Luke Sante moment. Like when he found hey, all those crime photos, you know? So what winds up to be is this guy was a crime scene photographer for the New York Department, uh, you know, the police department during the 40s and the 50s. And also what he was, he's the guy that invented instead of you holding that felt board where you would put the num like your they would put your name and your number with little single letters. Mm -hmm. He was like the guy where they would like turn like they would like a little like. Like board that you would hold, but you would turn those discs to spell it out. You know what I mean? So they didn't they would they didn't have to write your whole name out with that. They would just turn these and there was A through Z too. I didn't realize that. So oh, he the so on the floor? Yeah, that's what all those things were that oh. were on the floor. So to make a long story short, I waited, I said, Yes, I want them. Yes, I want them. So I waited six months uh, four months before they would allow me to to go and see these five boxes i go there the boxes are incredible the, the the imagery is just unbelievable as you can imagine from the time period from beautifully photographed almost portraits well-lit portraits of of crime victims to images i wish i hadn't seen of like eviscerated babies and stuff like that uh. yes and he was also the first photographer on the scene at um at attica which was amazing and that's when they they took the the uh guards hostage right and they were amazing photographs so he has all these photographs and i'm thinking okay the only thing was the caveat was when i turned all the photographs over they had no information on them so in other words i was told that what he did is he struck the original for the the department and he made a copy mm -hmm. so none of the information the person's name the crime dates they were all gone so Ethically, I felt, you know what, these are just horrible photographs, you know, of these people's worst, you know, their worst moment in life. I have no history on them. So I was very, I, so I made a, I, I felt that it was wrong. So I made a very low bid on it and um, I lost it because, and now in retrospect, I regret it because I would have liked to have the photos anyway. And I kind of. Mm -hmm made peace with it. Um, so I, I, I passed on that. And interestingly enough, when I was shooting um, the crime book, uh, I was shooting a gentleman and I brought up that story to it. And he told me, I'm the guy that bought them. Oh, so, you know, it was a great find that um, I should have capitalized. It was worth you know, at least a few thousand, way more than a few thousand. It was really, but I, I, I really, you know, it, you know, you look at this great photo and if you don't turn it around, you don't know the person's name. You don't know what the crime was. You don't know the background. They just be, to me, they just became, you know, just, just horrible images. You know it's what I mean? Pictures. Yeah. It's just morbid photos. And, and I, and it, you know, it took a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of the history away from it, which is one of the, the validations that a lot of people give for why they collect this this stuff. Stephen, you're a collector well, of. I mean, you could you yeah, could have done research though on it though, right? I, mean, I asked them that. I think Paul is absolutely no. right. Provenance, um, you know, a lot. My collection isn't just oddities. It, it's it's more diverse as militaria. There are other things in it. 
But one of the important things for me when collecting isn't ownership, it's the provenance and then being able to, I don't know, self-educate myself by going into the archives and looking, learning about that person, what they did, where they were. That's the fascination. Um, You know, I I recently acquired a collection of World War II um, dog tags. Oh, wow. and that you've got the information and it's been fascinating, you know, dipping into the archives and discovering that these people, you know, where, where they fought, um, which units they were with. Um, and it's kind of a process of self-education by these mm-hmm. little, these little discs, you know, you, you end up learning a great deal about the history and about the world around us. Absolutely. I asked, I said, look, would, would the family be, because the, 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 the photographer was still alive. And I said, would he be willing to go through these photos with me? And the family really said the, flat out, no, they wanted to have nothing w- to do with these and they didn't want to bring them back into, into their life. And yeah, uh, no, Ronald, I thought the same thing. Like, yeah, if there's a way to do it. But uh, there is, Paul, in a way, I mean, you know, especially during that time. Well, I, I don't know the time period uh, it's from, but I'm, I'm figuring it's early 1900s or something like that. Uh, no, it was actually even later. It was 40s. Oh, it's even later. Well, you yeah. know, a lot of the, the newspapers shot articles of, of pictures of, you know, different things. And I, I think you could have got providence on some of them yeah. uh, from from newspaper articles and so I, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, re- a lot of research. I, I understand yeah, that. Yeah, but it would have been fun. Yeah, no, I, I definitely regret it. And like you say, I, I thought in retrospect, you know, right, just buy it and then and then put in the time, the time and effort, you know, so that would have been. I, I have a quick question with Stephen real quick on that. You said uh, dog tags and yeah. discs. Are your dog, uh, are dog tags in England round? Uh, yes, they are. Um, and, but they're, um, these are quite unusual uh, survivors because they, um, they for a period uh, prior to, at the, early, at the beginning of World War One, they were metal dog tags. So they were circular, um, single items. Later on, they, they, they cheapened it because of the, number, the increased number of soldiers oh, and yeah. they started making out pressed fibre and then pairing them so you had two, one that could be left with the body, one that could be taken back for the re- the records. And then later on again, they went back to using metal because they discovered that in a lot of conditions, the uh, fiber dog tags didn't survive. Didn't hold up, yeah. yeah. So. Um, oh, that's interesting. Do we, did we have two, did, do we have two dog tags too? Yeah. In America, America had two. Germany, the Germans used um, a single dog tag that had a, a perforation through the, the center so that you would, you would snap it um, along this perforation uh, so it, it had the same information reproduced twice on it. The, the oddity here is the Russians. Uh, the Russians didn't have dog tags. What they had was a small Bakelite or wood um, cylinder. Like, they never lost any men, you know that. Yeah, that, those are like those are like pen caps. Um, so they're about the size of the 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 cap on a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, they're made of bakelite or or often bamboo or or pressed paper, and inside was a rolled up piece of paper with the information about the soldier. And you wow. just carried it in your pocket, or and around you your just neck? carried it in your pocket. Um, wow. 
some soldiers, you know, some uh, some true, um, some had individualized. You know, the family would make a silver um, mm. uh, dog tag for or or wrist bracelet for for you know um, for the for the trooper. Uh, there were variations, but they all had the same, um, you know, or at least I think the idea actually starts in the U.S. Civil War because of the, the the sheer number of people who were being killed and they needed to identify the bodies. And the first recorded dog tags um, in in mass use were in the U.S. Civil War. Prior to that, individuals carried them because uh, either they had them made or their families had them made you know going wow. right the way back to the roman era but and all of this is what is something i've learned recently and this is for me has been the joy of collecting is learning about stuff sure because, now why are they called dog tags because they look like the tag on the dog collar right so exactly. the, previous to that they were probably called something else then, right? Because I assume. Well, there you think Civil War dogs? Identity discs. Oh, okay. Or identity tags, but the 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 the, the soldiers themselves called them their dog tags right. because you know they were worn around the neck, like on like the the name tag on a dog's collar. Right. Hmm. But I'm saying that probably a dog tag for a dog probably didn't come around till probably like the 20s, maybe. Right. I'm yeah, sure dogs maybe. just yeah. So it's relatively new, the whole term it, it, dog tag. The use of the tags is, is relatively new for, um, you know, for the soldiers themselves, soldiers, sailors and airmen, all, all branches of, of certainly armed services have them. So in, in your collection, do you go out on the road with your collection at all, Paul? No, no. I, I, you know why? Because... Um, and it's just because I've seen my collection. I'm not not ashamed of my collection, but my my collection doesn't warrant it compared to the collections that I see out there. And it's one of those things where I've spent so much time um, seeking out other people's collections that I I've kind of neglected my collection. <laughs> um, so you know, and it, but you know, it's it's funny because um, I started selling some of my pieces and one of the one of the collectors a few of the collectors uh, christian icarus who uh has the skull of saint vitalis which is one of the high points of, of the of the skulls book um he's a big buyer and seller and he, i didn't relate to it till i started selling a few pieces and, and and jones of jones bones was not in the book he's a big seller also and he, he says there is some kind of joy of because you can't keep everything, but mm -hmm. to know that you made the transaction, not because of the monetary. I'm, I assume that weighs, you know, that's a different satisfaction of making a profit, but to have curated a piece and then moving it on to someone else's collection, Who even though it never it? stayed in. Yeah, even though it never stayed in your collection, there is some there is there a sense of satisfaction that, you know, OK, you know. You move this piece from one place to another and kind of propagating the collection without being in your own place. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of own a piece of everyone's collection a little bit. You know, they're just <laughs> they're just showing it, displaying it for you because you're the one that found you, it. You know, yeah. Ron, when you asked about uh, taking your collection on the road, uh, mm -hmm. that would be to me, that would be abhorrent. I would hate <laughs> the thought yeah. of because, you know, 
I know where everything is. Um, it's you know stored away or, or some of it's on display mm-hmm. and I don't want to take it on the road and risk other people you know I get I guess it might just be a personal thing but you know when people come into the office and start just making towards to pick stuff up it's like don't touch yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean th- th- in Ouija boards for instance I mean uh, Jason Rubito uh he has his collection, but when he brings it on the road, he he is always present with it. In other words, you know, he did Spur Quest, Steve, a couple of years back. I don't know if I you remember, remember that. Remember. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he was right there with the, the whole time. And, and he brought it in for that one presentation and, and then took took it all up because they all those pieces means, meant so much to to him. Uh, but there are a lot of people, as you know now, Steve, especially in the paranormal, that uh, yeah, are making yeah. a business out of this, displaying yeah. their, their pieces. That's why I was talking about before, about um, props of ego, because by having the collection, these people who would otherwise be unknown are known for their collection. Their collection <laughs> is is who they are, in effect. But the problem is uh, a lot of these collections is provenance. I mean, you know, oh, I've got this haunted doll that and they, they have a nice story behind it. <laughs> but what is the, the real provenance? What you know, what what can you back? Well, that you, up need, you, you need to find something, you know, provenance given to you by God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, provenance is absolutely everything. But provenance is not the story. But they all do come with a good backstory. These haunted objects, right? Uh, not not oddities. You know, um, uh, there are now several haunted museums in the UK. And if you and I visited some of them, and when you look at the collection, it's just a random assemblage of stuff. bric-a-brac and stuff. Yeah. Mm. And looking at the collection, it, it, there's nothing tying it together except a story that that object is haunted so it's it's more like an entertainment than it, than it is a, a, a it's real ripley's isn't it, it it's yeah, all ripley stuff well know, even, even, i think even yeah like uh pt bottom so i want to go back to paul and since this is uh ghost chronicles we have to ask you uh any paranormal experiences with your uh hunt uh, with your collections not with the collections per se. I, I'm one of those people that um, uh, my wife has a very, uh, I think, a very unique, not unique, but a, a very logical uh, approach to that kind of stuff. And she's like kind of very spiritual and stuff like that. And she says that people are always asking uh, for signs from from beyond. They're always asking for signs. And then anytime they get a sign, or what you can call a sign. They did. They say it's coincidence. Well, mm-hmm. which is it then? You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I got, I, I and I'm, so to say that I've, uh, you know, do, do, have I ever experienced it? I experienced things that, well, maybe were they could coincidental, maybe they weren't. I've had certain pieces that kind of freaked me out. I, and I do ask, uh, all the collectors, well, especially morbid curiosities. And it's funny, this kind of leads into what Steven and you were saying. Um, I ask them, um, you know, ha- have you felt that any of your pieces were haunted? And 98% of them all said, 
No, but I wish they were, you know, they're dying <laughs> to find one, you know, that, that they can truly say this, this is a haunted piece, you know? So there's a thrift store on I-95, good place to look for haunted objects. <laughs> right. You know, you know, so the interesting thing, I mean, Steve and I both find that, I mean, we, each, we, we, cause we're in the field and people will have things that they're absolutely terrified of and want to get rid of and, and they'll, they'll end up with oh, these. God, yeah. Yeah, they'll end up with us, and we'll have them, and uh, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> we'll never. No, have, it's, never it's 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 wishful we'll thinking. We'll never experience anything, though, right? We'll never experience. Yeah, it's, anything. it's entirely wishful thinking. Uh, you know, people have, as Ron said, people have got have come across objects, found objects, or the objects, uh, you know, have passed down to them, and they're terrified of the object. They don't want anything to do with the object. They want to find a home for the object. It ends up here. I I readily accept it on the you know hoping that something (laughs) will happen. Yeah. You know. Oh well, it's got a ghost attached to it. Great. Put it in the office. I've got my own pet ghost. But sadly, you know, they come here and they come to die. You know, the 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 thing is, I I think that people really use these objects as scapegoats. You know, basically for troubles that they they. Mm experience oh, and oh they absolutely blame definitely. something so you blame it on a doll you blame yeah. it on a iguana yeah. Yeah. <laughs> remember remember the remember the haunted uh killer doll um yeah which which i brought back from salem mm-hmm. um and i only it was it, i'll be very very brief it was just a raggedy ann doll that i brought back because it looked like the doll in um that the warrens had with annabelle and um i gave it to a little girl um as a gift because she she was you know a fan of the horror horror genre and all 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 sorts of terrible things started to happen to the household i blame you and the doll and the doll is now back on the shelf in the office with nothing Um, nothing Hmm. nothing's happened before nothing happened since but only whilst it was there and of course it started happening shortly after the doll arrived. Paul, you're not going to believe this, but we kind of like blew through the sour. We'd love to have you back on again sometimes if if you would. Oh, mind. yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. definitely. Always, We're only halfway through. Yeah, yeah. I love talking. You guys are great. Anytime you want, you just let me know. And uh, I would love to talk to you guys. It's more so, of a conversation with you guys than a, than an interview, which is. Well, that's what nice. we try. We try to be it that way. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. We, we have questions and you have questions and mm-hmm. we like to share stories and stuff. And that's what it's about. So uh, if people want to find out more about your books and you, Paul, where can they, they do that? Um, the website is collectingthemacabre.com. So it's collectingthemacabre.com. And the Instagram is morbidcurio, C-U-R-I-O. And the books are all on Amazon. You know, if you just search Paul Gambino, if you don't remember the titles, they're all there. Yeah, just think of the Godfather. Hey, I ordered them earlier today. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah I imagine you would. <laughs> it works anyway. out well, like for reservations and, you know, dinner. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, that's the new pizza from the Dead Bell. Wow, yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, that means we've got to wrap up the show. Yep. So, yeah, so you actually should call yourself the Godfather of Curiosity. Yeah, uh, right. I, curiosity. That's <laughs> a good one. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. I have to yeah. credit you for that. 
Oh, Gambino, <laughs> that godfather of morbid curiosity. <laughs> Anyways, Paul, we want to thank you uh, so much for uh, I joining want to us. I want to thank today. you guys. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, I look yeah. forward to getting you back on the show again. Yeah, yeah we will yeah, definitely have it. Uh, it we, didn't, we didn't even touch skulls and uh, killer collections either. So, yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, Anyways, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, members of the Dead Ear Society. So uh, you too can become a member for a paltry fee of $3 a month, and you get access to over 30 videos and of course ghost chronicles magazine so it's hey, all yes steve do we have a final word for i this? know last word steve i knew you were going to say that i was getting to it ah oh, god you sound like my wife now <laughs> okay ronnie. ronnie yes yes i'm coming all right so here we go um today's last word uh, said by Roman, oh, today's last word is brought to you by Roman Emperor as he was murdered by his own soldiers. I live. And that's today's last word. I live. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.